Good morning. Uh, many of you know last week we began a new series on the book of Romans. And so our reading today comes from the second half of Romans chapter 1. If you're using the sort of maroon purple Bibles in the pews, that's page 1128. So I'm starting from verse 18, reading through the end of the chapter. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged their natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. They have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, and they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Clayton, for that, and uh, everyone else. Uh, thus far for leading us in a time of uh, worship and praise. Good morning, friends. How are you this morning? Good, good, good. Please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Fathers, we turn to the proclamation of your word word that has been beautifully read to us. I do pray that uh, what comes out of this mouth you created and the meditation of our heart all as we engage with your word be pleasing and acceptable to you. 
you are our rock and our redeemer. Use me as a mere vessel. May your spirit be at work. And may we see Jesus in all and through all. In his name we pray. Amen. While you get to know me, uh, I have um, my, also my tag name, I'm, I'm Abby. That's all I can say at the moment. So, um, I'm 57 years old. You won't believe that. <laughs> Many of you are younger than me, and some of you are a little bit older than me. I have lived and studied, worked in two different continents, and traveled to a third one. I have met and interacted with a lot of people, listened to and counseled many others. I spoke at various conferences, preached in various churches. I'm a husband to this dear wife here for the last 33 years come next month. <laughs> she still cope with me. And I'm a father with her and no one else for three children. One thing I have noticed and experienced within myself is that uh, although I have been a Christian for over 40 years, I am still a sinner. And maybe this admission comes to you as a shock to some of you. I am aware of uh, a lifelong struggle with the flesh that is still active in my life. Tempted towards what is called in the Bible the sin that so easily entangles. Just this week, I was in a meeting with some of dear friends and valued colleagues Christian and church leaders whom I love and care deeply and who also love me and care for me deeply. In that meeting, I said things that I should not have said, perhaps trying to defend myself from what was said. It was one of the worst meetings. There were tears, and I went home with a very heavy heart. Honestly, I spent a sleepless night. Found it hard even in the morning to pray. 
And the following day was a bad day, if I can describe it that way. Until I sought and received forgiveness. And even after that, I was still reflecting on the whole experience and with all that what was said. All that is to say, I am standing here before you today as a sinner. And God willing, I will be standing here as it has been over the last four years since I came in here as a sinner. Perhaps even a worse sinner than many of you. Because I'm conscious of my sinfulness, weaknesses, and failures. Do you still want to listen to God through a guy like this? The other thing which I have observed in the world and I've seen and I've noticed that I live in a world, a world that I can describe as a confused and unsatisfied world. Let me give you a few examples. People are really confused and unsatisfied with their skin colors. Many of us here in the West spend money to get a tan to become like me. <laughs> Thank God for the weather this week. But it's confusing because in my native country, particularly in Congo where I come from, many spend money buying cosmetic product to try to become like you. People are confused and unsatisfied with the body shape and appearance. Back in my country, those women with a big breast are sometimes ridiculed. And because of that, they try to reduce them. Over here, ladies with small breasts or breasts that are a little bit lower spend money to try to make them big or lift them a little bit. Confusing. Back in my country, men with big tummy like mine are seen as bosses. In fact, when I was in Aberdeen, there's one Western guy who went to Kenya and he had a big tummy and he was really distraught and uh, when he arrived there because the kids surrounded him and tried to do like this. And he could not believe until one of the local guys came and said, they are saying you are the boss. That made him feel better. <laughs> Over here, many people with big time will try to spend money and energy to try to lose weight because that makes them feel a little bit good. Back in my country, 
Ladies with big lips are sometimes ridiculed and are unhappy because they're too often mocked. Over here, young ladies, and sometimes with men with small lips spend money for Botox and surgery to try to lift them. My goodness, a world that is confused. Some even say, if I just had my hair pink, gray, purple, or whatever, I'll be okay. Now, I know that some of you um, change the hair for various reasons, which are genuine, but some think they'll be perhaps more attractive. People are confused and unsatisfied with sexual life that what I've noticed and sexual orientation. Some men think that if they slept with the most beautiful women, that will satisfy them. Some women will think that if they slept with the most hottest guys, that will satisfy them. Some started with a heterosexual life and now of a sudden unsatisfied become homosexual or lesbian practicing. Something that if I just change my shape from a man to become a woman or from a woman to become a man, that will satisfy me. Or if I just join the most powerful lobbies now and groups, for instance, the LGBTQ and whatever where it is going, I don't know, plus, or become an activist, people will be unsatisfied. People are confused and unsatisfied with the education and the achievement. As you are in the university, you'll hear people saying to you, if you just plan ahead, plan my work, or plan your work ahead, and work your plan, it will be all right. But the reality, because of the demand of work and some unexpected pressures, many, many, and I speak of an experience, have reached a stage of saying, I am at the point of ending my life. My home is at wreck. I'm a secret alcoholic. My children don't respect me. I never, I've never really had a guiding principle in my life. Expect, perhaps, to be recognized. Or if I just got my degree, push a little bit hard, get a master's, and even get a PhD, then that will be all right. But sometime, even with all that education, the heart still is seeking, searching for meaning, the sense of fulfillment. The heart needs feeling. Most sometime intellectual comes to a point in their lives, whether the academia or the scientific community or the political or the business activity, no longer is enough. The search of a true, true self continues. Brief, I've seen this world, and I am self as a sinner, living in a world that is confused, unsatisfied, 
and frankly doomed, people everywhere are anxiously searching for heart-satisfying life. But there are only two places to find that. It can be either vertical, as we shall come soon to that, or you are seeking it, shopping such a life horizontally, even trying to fit in. Why am I telling you all this? When I look at myself, my own reality, and I look at the world in which I live in, where we all suffer deep-seated frustration, thinking perhaps, I got to do better. I got to be better. I got to be better. Why am I so empty? When we carry subconscious feeling, struggling towards an unknown goal, I am more and more convinced that this is why we desperately need the gospel as the slide comes. I'm more and more convinced that this is why we are desperately need the gospel. Why we need the gospel, my friends? This book of Romans, Paul's or God's message through Paul is the one ray of hope for a confused, unsatisfied, doomed world. Why do we need the gospel? Interesting, the passage we have just read, some of our version just goes and begin to say, the wrath of God, missing something that is there for the wrath of God which basically takes us back to verse 15, where Paul is saying, I am eager to come to you to preach the gospel. And one of those reasons is because I see that there's a wrath of God that is also being revealed. Because in the gospel, the good news Salvation comes. The good news brings salvation. It's interesting, when you look at this letter, Paul could have gone straight from verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 21. Because he just mentioned about the righteousness. He could have gone and explained. But he has this junk of uh, um, passage, uh, passages from verse 18 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, to basically lay the foundation in the ground to say, this is why it is necessary to bring the good news, because of what the world is. He speaks of uh, the wrath of God, 
as this we see on the screen. I'm not going to go into detail of that, but uh, we can talk about it uh, another time. But in general, the wrath of God is um, uh, upon uh, all people who are outside Christ in general. All the people who are outside Christ stand condemned under the wrath of God. Now, this wrath of God is a huge thing we can talk another time, but it has a present reality, as we can see that, but also it has a future reality. So it is being revealed now, but it's also a wrath that will be revealed in the future. But here's the good news. As we see on the screen, this is the very wrath Jesus saves us from. This is the good news. It's being displayed now. It's going to be displayed in the future. But now this is the very wrath Jesus saved us from as the same author Paul, God used the writer to the Thessalonians, say Jesus is the one we are waiting who saves us from the coming wrath. Let me speak about three things quickly. Um, when this wrath is being revealed, when this wrath is being developed, are there things we do that make this wrath of God to be revealed? Number one, the wrath of God is being revealed when people turn away from God. When people turn away from God. As Paul is saying there, you know, people are suppressing the truth. When we turn from God, when we retain what we know as in a prison under the weight and the oppression of our own sins, by holding down the truth, resisting and constantly acting in opposition in our own mind to the force of the truth, the truth of God that is sufficiently displayed in the works of creation, as we've been hearing from Margaret, preventing what we know of it from being told. In other words, when we know the existence of God, that God exists, and we turn away from him already, the knowledge we, we, we have we turn away from him, the wrath of God is being revealed. Friends, in a university like this, with great mind, many of you, young ones, you will struggle with the notion of the existence of God. Especially when you will face hardship and struggles. And if you already believe that God exists, you will also struggle many a time to try to defend it when you are put on a corner. But let me say, the radical truth of the existence of God isn't something that is preached every Sunday on a Sunday like this. 
The existence of God, it is preached every day through the beauty of the sunset, the power of the storm, the whisper of the breeze from the sea, the smell of the sizzling stick, if steak, sorry, if you go to Balgov and get a steak. That the existence of God is being revealed, the power and the clarity of the creation message leads, as verse 21 say, no human without uh, with an excuse. In other words, hey, you are already far. Come back to the first one. Leave that one. Yeah, come back. I'll come back to that. In other words, when a pagan of the first centuries or us, intellectual, civilized, civilized, materialistic people in the 21st century, we all have a knowledge of God through creation. No one, even those who have never heard the Bible or Christ, has an excuse for not honoring God because the whole created world revealed God. And actually, God, as is being revealed in the creation, we see Jesus already there, when people know it or not. Why? Because it is in Christ who is the image of the invisible God. It is in him or by him or for him, but by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, my friend, you have to work hard to deny God's existence because it is so readily visible everywhere you look. God did that because he's a God of grace. He did it so that we would not run away from him, but run towards him. He did this so that we would recognize our position as a mere creature and bow to his glory. He did so so that we may live in recognition of him. But what people do, not only turn from God, that's where this other slide comes. People prefer living without a God because, in fact, they say life is good without a God. Forgetting what, as someone once said, I quote, fish were designed to swim, sun to shine, but you and I to worship God. We were designed for that. But something took place. Seen this little word kidnapped our worship of God. We display preference of living without a God when in spite of the knowledge of him, we arrogantly, frankly arrogantly, no longer pay the homage or the respect due to this God as the creator and become thankless, thankless people 
Look at that word says there in the Bible. They no longer gave him the glory, no longer thanked him. It puzzled me sometimes. With due respect, when I think how many a time we line on the street to applaud a funeral of a celebrity, and that same respect is lacking for the one who created us. The trouble is, when we begin to live without a God or think that life is good without a God, verse 21 tells us is that we become useless, futile for the purpose for which we were created. Now, there are at least among many three disastrous exchange um, um, seen for people who have come to that place to say, we prefer to live without a, um, a God. And let me walk with you through these things quickly. Um, there's an exchange. People exchange God for idol. Now, I don't want to go into detail, but the language used there takes us back to the Old Testament, particularly in the book of uh, Psalms, Psalm 106, 106, verse 20. In uh, the Greek version of that um, a, 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 a part of the Bible, and it's talking about what happened actually in the Exodus. Let me put it uh, um, a bit clear. This is where we forget the true God and making our own gods as did the Israelites shortly when they came out of Egypt. The Israelites have seen the glory of God, but then after that, they design their own God who is not a true God. And so they exchange the God who saved them, who have done great things, to this uh, created thing. God in that account uh, remained faithful to them, but then they broke the covenant and they turned against the God. When you read the story, it's only God's mercy that saved them that day from being wiped out. By the way, God never revealed one attribute to the expense of the other. And let me be clear. Those of us who think that uh, we can just bank on God's mercy, and openly, openly disregarding his justice and everything, we are playing with fire. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament tells us God is love, yes, but is just as well. Two passages, I don't want to go, one in Deuteronomy, another one in in Hebrews, where it says, God is a jealous God and is a consuming fire. But it's the same God who loves us. 
they have exchanged the people who prefer to live without a God, exchange God for a liar. The question is, what is that lie? Well, this is also need to go back to the Old Testament to begin with, when something happened in the, in the Garden of Eden, the false promise of life, a heart-searching life. When they were corn, they thought that life, heart-searching, satisfying life, could be found elsewhere, outside the Creator. Is the lie of lies, the cruelest lie ever told. And if you believe it, you'll not only find yourself empty, but also discouraged and on a course that is not there. In other words, you'll be hearing, my friends, as you come to the university, or are you resume the university, or are all of us, that there is life better outside Jesus, the creator. But that's a lie. Because life found only its meaning in God. Could it be that today, perhaps you stop anxiously searching for life, satisfaction, horizontally, and begin to look upward? Because that's where there is life. And maybe you and I, who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, Maybe we can stop going after empty wells that do not satisfy and because we have been given a thirst quenching life living water. You see, it is only God that gives joy and hope. And no matter what comes around in your life, it is only God. The third exchange there we found is one that is uh, unpopular, a sensitive, accepted topic in our society, particularly with regard to homosexuality and lesbianism. Now, we don't have time to talk about this. But let me just say a few words on this particular one. Number one, I am very much aware that we have friends, we have family members who are in this kind of things. And I'm not here to judge you. And neither all of us should judge anyone. But number two, regardless of all, whatever views you hold, I just want us as a church to have a clear biblical balance between on one hand, a clear conviction about the sinfulness of uh, homosexual and lesbianist behavior. And on the other hand, a patient had felt with compassion to come alongside those of you and those who have relatives and friends who have uh, homosexual and lesbian desires. In other words, let me be clear once more. As a pastor and as a friend, I have no desire to drive homosexual or lesbians, LGBT people away. On the contrary, 
I would like to be able to say of our church what Paul says to the church in Corinth. After mentioning the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves and greed, dunker, slander, swindler, he went on to say, and that is the sum of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. And the word sanctified and the word justify will come again and again in the book of Romans. In other words, I want us to be a church where you are straight, homosexual, lesbian, can either come here and overcome the sexual disorder or find faith and encourage others and encourage you and help and love and power to live a triumphant, joyful, celebrate, faithful life with all the disorder. What I'm trying to say is this. I want us to be a church, and I think we are, a church that is as welcoming of anyone who can be labeled of or like outcast as Jesus was during in his time of ministry years in earth. He was as welcoming as possible, but at the same time, he was firm with what sin is. For after all, the church is a company of sinners like me. Saved, yes, and yet still in the process to be completely saved when Jesus returned. That's why the good news calls every one of us to repentance and transformation in every area of lives. When we choose to turn from God, when we choose to live a life without God, there are consequences. I don't want to go into detail, but look at them. They are sinful desires. The Bible says God handed them over to these sinful desires while convile conviction and deprive mind. God hand them over. But what thrilled me this week is to discover there is another moment in the history when God hand over someone else. And he hand this one, the same word used, God hand over people to do this. Is the same word used, God hand over this one person, and his name is Jesus. And we shall come back to that later on in the study of Romans. In chapter 4, verse 25, a key verse, where it says, God hand over Jesus to die for our sins. Do you see what is going on? 
although we are swinged to fall into these consequences, but there is someone who can redeem us from all this. The language used there is powerful in that verse, taking us back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, where the servant of God was handed over. And not only Jesus died for our sins, but at the verse, as my dear friend David was sharing us last week, Jesus rose from the dead, and he rose for our justification. So not only he died for our sins, but his rising from the dead gives us hope for salvation. But the third thing, quickly, as I come very soon to the end, not only people turn away from God, not only people begin to live a life without God, but the wrath of God is revealed when people pull down the blinds and close the curtains against the God. That verse is powerful. In other words, yeah, we have come to a place where we don't longer want to listen to you. You know, my friend, even if you pull down the blinds and close the curtains of your heart, there is this one here as the picture comes on the screen as well. Jesus who keep knocking. I am standing at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat. They will with me. In other words, but by the way, that, that passage is not addressed, first of all, to one person. It is for the whole church, but the church is made up for people. And so whether a church sometimes can close the cut, we don't want the gospel, or your own heart can close, Jesus keep knocking. But that picture there, which was painted many years ago, it's basically the door handle is not outside, it is inside. So it is you who has to open for Jesus to come in. He doesn't force to come in. When I look at my own life, when I look at the world, when I look at this text with all this messiness and everything, I come to this conclusion. Oh, what good news the gospel is. How on earth God can take those who turn away from him, those who decide to live and prefer to live a life without him, and those who close their heart, he can still make and create saints out of those people. As in verse 7 of chapter 1 say, I write it to you, all of you in Rome, who are sent or who are holy. These people were not sent because someone canonized them. But uh, Paul knew they also came from the messiness. And God can create. Friends, 
the good news. The good news is all about Jesus. And thank God for Jesus as we saw it last Sunday. Jesus, not only the crucified Jesus, but the risen one. He died for our sins, but he rose. And when he rose, he ascended to the Father. What is he doing there? We shall come to chapter 8 later in the this uh, book of Romans, where uh, what is he doing there, he is interceding for us. So the good news is not that Jesus died, but the good news is also about uh, Jesus is still speaks today and even now at this very moment on your behalf if you are a believer before the Father. And so I, in my brokenness and my sinful, I can still go and say, I've done it again, Lord. Forgive me. Because if I deny and I claim I am without a sin, I make him a liar. But if I acknowledge my sin, I know I have an advocate Jesus Christ who is alive, who is pleading at the right hand of the Father. And I can be certain of the forgiveness. I can be certain that I will be completely saved. Even when I am still struggling now. When I am not yet perfect. One day, Jesus, who started the work, going to complete that when he returns. Oh, thank God for Jesus as he is interceding. And that's why at the end, when uh, you don't like Romans 1, 18 to all the way to 32 we have read, and you only like Roman 8, when it says uh, nothing will separate us. You need to understand this first and take it to heart so that you can be able to say, because of Jesus who have redeemed me, who is alive and at the throne of the Father, then I am more than a conqueror and nothing will separate me of the love of Christ that is found in Jesus. That is the good news. May the Lord help us to see that Jesus is the hope of the nation. Jesus is the only one that can be truly satisfied. Jesus is the only one that can save us from the wrath now and the wrath to come. Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus, may we behold him in all his glory. Amen. Let us pray.
Father. We thank you that uh, you can take even the vilest offender who truly believes to give him a pardon. Save us from our sinful life and from this uh, confused unsatisfied and doomed the world. Thank you that you can make us saints out of our messiness. And I do pray that uh, you help uh, my friend sitting here or those listening at home that in you and in you alone we find liberty. And as we sing, how can it be that we should gain an interest in you, Lord, who saved us? Thank you for your work on the cross and your work now at the right hand of the Father. To you we come and we bow and give glory and honor and praise to you.